We're so grateful for everyone that's come to be a part of things today. And in case you didn't know, my name's Arnick. I'm one of the pastors of Christ's Way. And I'm just glad that we have an opportunity to journey through the Word together today. Uh, we've been going through the New Testament throughout this year, and it will continue in about five chapters at a time. Also, our podcast is available both on Podbean as well as any other way that you've been watching it. It's available on ChristWay.net. This week, uh, we had a great podcast that you can go and listen to when you're on your way to work or when you're on your way home or to school and be a part of what we're doing in the Word of God right now. This is, for me, the best part of the service. It's the part I look forward to. The worship's pretty cool, too, though. Uh, but I'm grateful to have the opportunity to stand before you and do this today. Uh, I'm not Andy. Though I am. <laughs> though, though I am, the only difference between us is that I'm a little taller. <laughs> but I am bald and bearded, so I will, I'll do, I'll do. And he's got that deep voice too, so. Uh, but I stand here today with this assignment to bring this word to you, and I'm very excited about what we have to preach. The chapters that I'll be dealing with is the eighth chapter of Mark all the way up to the 12th chapter of Mark. And I actually was assigned to speak next week on the next five chapters. And here I stand today, and boy, am I glad because I, I sat down and I started, you know, doing what some of you college students do. I started cramming. And this word just spoke to my heart. And hopefully you've had an opportunity to read it. If not, again, it's Mark 8 through 12 for this week. And we're just trying to journey through the word of God together. This particular scripture uh, has so much fruit in it. And I just want to real quick do a breakdown for you and it'll be up on the screen of what's happening in these chapters so you know what you'll be reading. This is like the trailer for reading it or it is the review after reading it. So first of all, Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight is broken down into several different happenings. First, the 4,000 are fed. It's a, it's a miracle that is similar to what happens with the 5,000. If you haven't read it before, we talked about it this week on the podcast as well, that Jesus just simply asks, well, the Bible says it in the New International Version like this, it says that Jesus felt a certain kind of way. He felt bad because the people had come to hear him speak. And so he does this miracle to the point where the Bible says there's about 4,000 men there that day. And when they leave, there's still enough food. There's nothing like going out to eat at a good restaurant and you're remembering how good it was but that you didn't finish your food and two days later you remember, oh, I had some leftovers. So Andy spoke last week about the crumbs from Jesus. Even the crumbs are enough to feed us. Certainly the leftovers are. Then Mark 8 moves on and speaks about the Pharisees' desire to see a sign from Jesus. Next, it speaks about the yeast of the Pharisees, and I'll be coming back to that in this particular scripture. If you look up there, of course, you can see the verses are up there for your reading. Then there's a blind man of Bethsaida that Jesus heals. Uh, there's actually a 
sermon that has went viral on the internet because a man decided to call his brother up and kind of do the miracle. And Mark, it just says that he spit on him. And uh, the other gospels give a synopsis of Jesus spitting in clay and making a paste, rubbing it on his eyes. So the man called his brother up and spit on him in front of the congregation. I mean, uh, he hawked a pretty good loogie on him. Any volunteers? Somebody want to come up so I can spit on you? Okay. I thought, I thought of you. I thought of you. I was like, I'm going to call him up because he's real strong. And I'm going to spit on him. And we're going to see how long I survive <laughs> up here. My dad is here. We need, it'd take probably five of us. But the next thing that happens, Peter declares the Messiah. That's definitely a, a typo. Uh, Peter declares the Messiah. He has an experience where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he, are you making fun of it? <laughs> he has an experience where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he wants to know if after all this time they've been with them, who do men say I am? Who do you say I am? And Jesus speaks to Peter because Peter has a revelation that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus predicts his death in chapter 8. I want you to look for that in these other chapters because it's very important to what I want to speak to you today. Moving right along, Mark 9, Jesus' kingdom proclamation. His transfiguration takes place. He's with his most intimate disciples and he's, he is lifted up and he does something that there's no CGI on earth that could do naturally. He glows with an unbelievable heavenly celestial glow. And he's lifted up before his disciples. And the Bible speaks of, John, of, of Elijah and Moses being present at this happening. As we move on, Jesus speaks right after the transfiguration. Andy spoke about this last week, a possessed boy. Actually spoke about it on the podcast. A possessed boy that the disciples cannot heal. And Jesus comes and he says these things are a matter of prayer and fasting. And he heals the boy. So a very spiritual scripture in which Jesus sends these demonic forces into a herd of pigs. And we see them go off of a cliff. I'm moving through this. I'll get to my point. Again, Jesus in this chapter predicts his death. Mark 9, he speaks about the greatest king, greatest in the kingdom and using the name of Jesus. It's an interesting discourse between he and his disciples where they come to Jesus with a complaint that there are people using his name casting out demons in his name that are not directly connected to the disciples. And Jesus says, if they do it in my name, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. As a matter of fact, from here on out, when people speak of my name, let that always be greater than when they don't. Chapter 10, discussion on divorce. Jesus blesses children. And the verse 17 is our textual scripture. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Jesus again, predicts his death. It's three chapters in a row where Jesus is telling them, I'm going to die. Jesus teaches about service. Then Jesus heals yet 
another blind man by the name of Bartimaeus who does not require a paste or spit, my bro, to be healed. Jesus says, go, your faith has done the work. Chapter 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem. He curses the fig tree. He clears the temple. Everybody knows about that story. I used to always hear that story in Sunday school when we were acting up. They, you know, used Jesus beating them out of the temple as an excuse to assault the children. But See, I come up in the old school church. <laughs> it wasn't as nice as it is now. You take off running. That could be your life, Emma. It could be your life. Jesus' authority is discussed. Then it's just his authority is challenged. The Pharisees ask, how are you doing all this stuff you're doing? In whose name are you doing it? Mark 12, we're almost there. Parable of the farmers, where Jesus again predicts his death. Jesus predicts his death, and then he speaks of taxes for Caesar. He has a discussion on the resurrection. At that time, he's speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees who have the wrong idea about the resurrection. As a matter of fact, they try to trap Jesus with a very funny question. They ask Jesus, if a, if a man is married to a woman and the man dies and his brother has to take the wife, what if he has seven brothers? And if she marries all these brothers, which one of them will be her husband in the resurrection? And Jesus, I know what he wanted to say. But he's like, you guys just don't get it. You don't understand. See, when you're alive and you're living, you have wives and husbands. But when you're dead and you're resurrected, that body, that life is consecrated to me. Now I become the husband. So none of them are her husband. Whose son is the Messiah? The widow's offering. I love that. The most important commandment to love your neighbor. But in the middle of all of this in chapter 10, there's a story that doesn't match the theme at all. It's about a rich guy. I mean, Hayden, I'm not rich, I'm swagalicious, but you know, they don't even know what I meant by that word. <laughs> and I looked at this and I said, wow, this is a thematic shift. Why is God Allowing this into scripture, why is he talking about a rich man in the middle of death, 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 arguments with the Pharisees, and all these healings? Let's read it. It is Mark chapter 10. I'm reading the New International Version. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 30. I'll get through it quick. As Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared. Somebody read this with me. All these I have kept since I was a boy. We don't know if it's true. We don't know if he's hamming it up. We don't know if he's doing what some of us do on our resumes and super embellishment. 
But he says to Jesus, the master, I kept the commandments. I checked the boxes. Okay? Keep that in your mind. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Go back, Elijah. I want you to notice something about the scripture. Jesus says, one thing you lack, and instead of telling him what he lacks, he starts telling him to get rid of his riches. He's not always going to write it down for us, guys. Sometimes his job is just to give us the information of what to remove, what to extricate, what to get out of our lives. And the truth is that Jesus is not here today to highlight what you lack. All he wants is a yes. And in your yes to him, everything that you need in him will be present through your faith to not say no. Jesus told him after that in the next verse, then come follow me. After that, move on, Eli. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I've heard people give synopsis on the scripture a lot and say why he walked away. The Bible said it clearly. He walked away because in his mind, he had great wealth already. So let's draw the picture. He approaches Jesus with a question about eternal life. Jesus gives an answer not telling him what he lacks, but telling him what he needs to do. And instead of having a discussion, instead of saying, wait a minute, Jesus, but I've got to pay my bills, no questions asked. He walks away because he sees his wealth as the only wealth. And Jesus takes this as a no. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man. This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, and he said, We have left everything to follow you. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for me and the gospel will fall to receive a hundred times as much, will fail, rather, to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, Brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says to them, yes, I'm asking you to exchange what matters most and trust what I have to give you is the greater wealth. But I know just reading the scripture is not enough, so aren't has to do something unexpected. And I looked for a song that I could sing in worship that would cover this. 
It wasn't me. I looked for a song that would cover this, and I couldn't find a good worship song about no, not taking no. Today I want to talk about God not taking no for an answer. But then I reached back into my history and my childhood, and I found some guys that want to express to you what I'm trying to say for a moment. If you take a look at the screen, Elijah. Turn it up. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. No, no, no. Read this. There'll be plenty of people talking. This is what Dr. Teeth said. There'll be plenty of people talking, saying, forget all about it. I love this part. Saying it ain't worth the trouble, the trouble that you're going through. Continue. You can't take no for an answer. You can't take no for an answer. I'll tell you what, let the Muppets walk in here right now, and I will quit as worship pastor. <laughs> Can't take no for an answer. That's all I came to say. Something very important about understanding how Christ works. Shame is completely unnecessary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Condemnation, completely irrelevant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tearing people down instead of building them up. Highlighting people's shortcomings. These are the things that Jesus came to take away. And many times we find ourselves victims of a gospel that is false. Victims of a gospel that would suggest that Jesus doesn't take our weakness. It creates a couple of things. It creates a person that sits in the audience and has shame and does not feel like they have a worthiness and a righteousness that allows them to worship God like we just did up here. But it creates another person. It also tends to create a self-righteous person who believes that the goodness in them and the wonder in them and the grace that they have has somehow come from their sense of behavior. Jesus confronts this in the middle of miracles dead on. 
And he highlights a man that not only is wealthy, but says that he has kept all the commandments, checked all the boxes. And Jesus exposes through his wisdom very clearly that this man is deceived as to what his gospel is going to be. It's not a gospel that is based upon what you've accrued in life. It's not a gospel, don't throw stones at me, it's not a gospel of capitalism. It's not a gospel, it's not a gospel of cultural or country wealth. The gospel that we have comes from a poor guy in Jerusalem who did not even have a place to lay his head. And yet he, inside of him, encompassed the fullness of God bodily. You cannot preach a gospel that checks boxes when you're speaking of Jesus Christ. Tell you some things about Jesus. The Bible never says that he was a wealthy man. The Bible never says that people celebrated him consistently. The Bible never says that he was a great looking guy. As a matter of fact, there's some things that we may use as qualifiers that Jesus does not fit the bill. If he walked in here right now, his feet would be dirty because he'd have sandals on. He wouldn't have on the latest fashion. He wouldn't be swagalicious. He couldn't speak English. He wouldn't preach from up here. He would sit among us and he would try to find out who with a humble heart was trying to find his truth. I am in a place in my life right now where I'm trying to remove all of the constraints and the mentality that would keep me from Christ. Every day in my journey, I've been doing this, I've been playing in church since I was huh, six years old. So I've been playing for like 20 years. <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? <laughs> Lord, forgive me. <laughs> 35 years, same thing every Sunday, 10 Sundays out of the week, 10 Sundays out of that time. I sat down and went through it. Ten Sundays from six that I wasn't here. Ten. Most of them came in COVID. And yet, there were times, Peggy, where I was a wretch and a sinner in the pulpit singing songs in need of God's mercy. There were times where I was on the piano or I was called off the piano to speak and I was dealing with my own insecurity and shame about me. And it was on a Sunday that Jesus called me out of the crowd and said, what are you willing to give up so that I can exchange a real wealth with you? And I found out something. And I'm almost finished. Isn't that wonderful? I found out something. I thought in my mind that the exchange was like the people that were soothsayers standing around when Jesus was healing the blind man and they wanted to have a discussion about his past history and his family 
Somehow, Jeremy, I locked on to that. And in my life, I thought that my relationship with God was a matter of checking boxes and doing the right things and keeping the commandments. And Jesus squared me up in my spirit and he made it clear to me. I'm not concerned with your shame, your depression, your guilt, your addictions, your problems, your attitude, the evil that you've seen, the things that you have done. Yes, I want you to be better. Yes, I want to change you. I want to make you a new creature. But you cannot purchase the wealth that I'm trying to give to you right now. I want one thing from you. And I read this, and I said, wow, Jesus deals with drunkards. Jesus deals with addicts. Jesus deals with the Pharisees. We talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees all the time, and I'm very much against religious systems. I hate them. I've been in them, so I, I don't like them. I don't like those man-made things. But Jesus sure did take out a lot of time trying to help them. Almost every chapter of every gospel, he's trying to reform them because Jesus, when he looks at us, he never sees our inability, our incapabilities. He never sees how bad we are. He sees us through the eyes that he has. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace to bring you what the King James calls an expected end. What Emma said is a future. I know now, we don't believe this. Because why would he love me like that? Why would he have an interaction with me and be all holy and all he wants from me is yes. Yes and no is the one thing standing between you and everything that God wants to give to you. Not shame, not guilt, not your shortcomings, not where you were last night. The greatest thing that you can do, whether it's in worship or during communion or during prayer or during your personal time, is find within yourself a yes. So then, what is it a matter of? It's a matter of trust. The rich man that we just read about had one issue. He didn't trust Jesus. When you've built up, it may not be wealth, it may not be riches, but when you've built up ways of dealing with life's issues, it's what the Bible connotes as building an idol. Anything that you worship, that you replace God's presence with, anything that affirms you over Christ, when you have successfully done that, it's a dangerous place. Because then, it's up to you to be willing to say yes. The Bible says that this man walks away didn't just walk away, he walked away sorrowful because he did not have the clarity to see that all Jesus wanted was a yes. So let me encourage you in your lives. Whether you know Christ or you do not know Christ, yes can do 
what a counselor cannot do. If I was in the old school church, that's when the organ would have touched. Yes, we'll deliver you when depression seems to reign over your life. Yes, we'll take a marriage that seems to be falling apart and put it back together. Yes, we'll make children who you've entrusted to God in times where it seems like they'll never be right. I remember something. My parents are here. Wave your hand, Mom and Dad. Good-looking guy. What's that? I wasn't always this. There were some times where, I'm just telling you, Marilyn, we didn't think I'd be standing here. And I wasn't like, I wasn't crying or sorrowful. I was having too good of a time. And I remember I walked into a service one week to play the organ. I had been invisible. I had walked in and done my job for a year, and nobody asked me, was I okay? Nobody asked me what was going on in my life. I hadn't had a conversation with anybody but my parents. A fluent church, big church. I had disappeared, and everybody could see me. I walked in there and it was the worship. I walked in there with my attitude, with my presumptions, thinking I knew what God was going to do, what he was capable of. And here was my thinking. I'm already a musician. I know this stuff. I was raised in it. I tried to do right. And it was an old lady. She started singing, I feel like gold. Wing on. And I started having the struggle, Lawrence, with my manhood and my friends that were with me that day. Because the tears started welling up. I was like, Lord, don't do this to me. My boys are here. <laughs> I feel like going on. As she was singing it, I heard God expressing to me, that as much as you need me, I also desire even greater that you can move on from this. Look around you, host of witnesses, of people who moved on in their lives from things that seemed impossible. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, I know it's impossible. This wealth that has clogged this man's mind, these things that keep people from me, it seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But God wants a yes. He just wants a yes. Do I have anybody in here who traded their no for a yes a long time ago and it changed everything? My no was strong. Don't y'all let the suits and songs fool you. I'll knock somebody out. My no was strong. But my yes, it melted me. It melted my heart. And in exchange for a broken heart and a, a tough guy, he gave me life abundantly. In exchange for harm and hurt 
and my, and my roughness and my callous heart. He said, I'll give you an expression that when you open your mouth, it will heal the nations. Here's the question. What does God have in exchange for you today for your yes? I want you to try something that you might not have said all week. Everybody, on the count of three, I just want you to say yes. You've been used to telling your kids no. I know I've said no five million times this week to that guy running the media <laughs> alone. I've said no. Do you want to work out, baby? No! <laughs> Let's try something. On the count of three, just say yes. One, two, three. Yes. That's all God needs from you. Dan, if you come, close us out. Arnick, you've led us in worship. You've ministered in the word. But that's not enough. Can you lead us in worship again? Yes. Yes. Good. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no rest from weary. Well, here's what I know. I trust that God is speaking today. And his word doesn't just go out there and fall onto the floor. And, and you didn't need it. And you're going to leave the way you came. That's, that's not what's happening. And I know that many of you, including myself, uh, are internalizing this and you're, and you're trying to say, how do I get to yes? Or maybe you're in the, the, the dead middle of yes. Uh, it's a journey, right? And you're trying to figure out how do I keep going in this yes? If you led us in prayer today, if you were part of the prayer team, can you please go up or come up? I wanna give you a chance to pray, um, to respond to what we've heard today. To, uh, to embrace it. Let your faith uh, be encouraged. So Luke chapter 22, Jesus was with the disciples and we refer to this event now as the Last Supper. Of course, I don't think the disciples knew that they were at the Last Supper. Jesus did. <clears throat> and Peter uh, was there and Jesus says to Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And he said, when you return, because you will, strengthen your brothers. That's not the end. Your brokenness, your your sense of being lost because you're going to feel lost when well and what did, what did Simon Peter say he said Lord I'm willing to go to prison I'm willing to die for you like what are you even saying and he said Simon before before the night's even through you're going to deny me three times and that was the way that ended and 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 it all happened the way Jesus said and Simon needed to know Peter that in that moment of his brokenness, of his failure, that Jesus had already prayed that his faith would not fail him. What does that say? Jesus helps our faith, right? It isn't like you just, you try a little harder and you scream a little louder and that's how you're gonna get what you need. It's you're looking to Jesus, 
the Lord of Lords, and you're trusting. Just what Arnick said. So then into the scripture, we, we, uh, if you read today's scripture, Mark 8, um, Jesus was there and there was this father. And this father had a child and the child had a dumb spirit is what the Bible said. And, and he foamed in the mouth and he had gnashing of teeth and he rolled on the ground and just not in the right spirit. And he found Jesus and he said, um, Jesus, if you can, will you heal my child? And Jesus actually said, if I can, question mark, if I can, he said, um, to him that believes all things are possible. And the, what the man sue, he, the man, the father of the child cried out. He said, I believe yeah. and help my unbelief. Yeah. Right? Because I, I want to believe, but I'm still looking to you because you're the source of my faith, of my ability to believe. So if you'll stand with me, I know it's, it's only 1130. If you have to go, that's okay. But somebody embrace what this means to believe for the thing that you need, that you've been trying to believe for. You feel like it's your broken area, right? You feel like, I don't know what to do with it. I'm kind of broken here. Um, if the folks that prayed earlier could come and take your place, please feel free to come and let this be a house of prayer. If you need to join next to the person that's next to you, or if you want to come and pray and kneel, or if you want to reach out to one of the folks that prayed this morning, I, I invite you to look into the face of the Lord and ask him to give you the faith and the strength to believe and to trust for that area that you know you need to do that in and that, that area that you felt the tug of the Lord as Arnick ministered. And I just invite you to step into that space of faith and trust this morning and get to that yes. So Lord, we just come before you this morning, God, feeling the power of, and the anointing of your spirit. I pray that you would tug on our hearts Guide us into the area, God, that you have for us. And let your spirit, God, do a work in each one of us here today. Please sing with them as they sing and come and pray as you choose. If you have to go, you can go. Thank you for being here. Appreciate each one of you. I put my faith in Jesus. I anchor to the ground. My hope and firm foundation He'll never let me down I put my faith in Jesus My name 